Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even your body is subject to death because of sin. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, The gospel reading is from Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30. And then 36 to 43, and you can find that on page 979 of your church Bible, or it's printed in the service sheets. So, hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling up the weeds... You may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain the parable of the wheat in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. 
As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Malaysian airliner MH17 was, we believe, reading from reading the, our newspapers and, and listening to the television, shot down over eastern Ukraine on Thursday, and yet another tragedy unfolds on the world stage. And in the same week, Israel steps up its response to the Hamas missiles with a ground offensive in Gaza, and the death toll climbs. And innocent people, men, women, children, are caught up in the fighting and shot down in the plane. And many of those who've lost loved ones over the last two weeks will be asking questions about how these things are allowed to happen. Some will be asking how God let these things happen. Why doesn't God just take out the bad guys and stop all this suffering? Something in us wants God to act. We want justice. We want those responsible for the carnage to be brought to justice. But it seems that God isn't doing anything about it. This is just how the servants in the parable of the weeds we just heard felt as they saw weeds growing amongst the wheat. Why is this happening? Where did the weeds come from? Do you want us to go and pull them up? Do something. That's the the, the cry. But the owner says no. He says, let both grow together until the harvest, and then we'll gather up the weeds and burn them and store the wheat in the barn. The parable tells us that God is the God of justice. He is the God who will ultimately put all things right. There will be judgment. He will give everyone their just desserts at the end of the day. But it also tells us that God is the God of love. He doesn't step into every situation of human evil and punish the person concerned then and there. In fact, would we really want God to immediately and directly punish every act of human sinfulness that occurs? Where would that leave us? No, God is much more patient than that. Just as the owner of the field in the parable says, let both grow together until the harvest, God is patient with us human beings that he's created. He gives us all of our lives to turn from our self-centred ways and to accept his love, his mercy and his forgiveness. Like John Newton, who was a slave trader who found faith and turned to Jesus and wrote the amazing hymn, sorry, wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. It is an amazing hymn, but anyway, Amazing Grace. In thanks to God for his mercy and forgiveness, God also waits for each one of us to place ourselves under the transforming power of his love. So where does that leave us? 
Does this mean that we have to wait until we die um, and stand before God to be declared righteous in order to experience God's love and all the blessings that come with it? Well, the really, really good news is the answer to that question is no. And Paul confirms this good news in our other reading, in the letter to the church in Rome. And he then goes on to explain the incredible ways in which this works out in our Christian lives. And it is very, very good news. So let's have a look at the first passage, Romans chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, it's on page 1134. So here's the answer to the question, will we have to wait for God to judge us and declare us righteous after we've died in his sight and receive all the blessings that go with that? And Paul begins in verse 1 and he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing promise of God's, which people so often miss the enormity of. It's so mind-blowing, it's so liberating, and it's so refreshing. So many people today live under a cloud of condemnation, and it can come from many different sources. Some people have been told in error about a God almost waiting to jump on them and punish them for the slightest thing. Some are put down from an early age by others sometimes even by parents, who tell them they're not good enough, that they'll never amount to much, that they're a bad person, that they've blown it. And some simply condemn themselves for falling short of being the person they'd like to be or they desperately want to be, but find that they can't be. And the good news, says Paul the Apostle, is that if you are in Christ... In other words, if you have decided to follow Jesus Christ with your life, then it's like your judgment has been brought forward to the present and you've been declared righteous now. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to sing some beautiful words in this hymn before the throne of God above, which say that when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless saviour, Jesus, died, my soul is counted free. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is such good news. We are all free of the rubbish of the past, all the put-downs, all the guilt, all the shame, all the fear, and we have new life starting now. We've already begun our eternal lives with God here on earth. We will, of course, have to pass through physical death, but our destiny as a child of God with a place in his kingdom is assured. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news? But how does it happen? Well, in verses 2 to 4, Paul explains that God has set us free from sin and death. How? By sending his own son, Jesus, to sacrifice his life. He calls it to be a sin offering in verse 3. But in, in other words, to sacrifice his life. For us, in order that the penalty that we deserve is paid. 
He says the righteous requirement of the law, that's the, the penalty we deserve, is paid on our behalf by Jesus, for all who put their faith in Jesus. And then Paul goes on to describe what this means in terms of Christian life. He describes two kinds of people. In fact, he says there are only two kinds of people. In verse 5, he says there are those who live according to the flesh, who have their minds set on what the flesh desires, and those who live according to the Spirit, who are focused on what the Spirit, in other words, what God desires. So what does that mean, living according to the flesh or living according to the Spirit? Well, it's helpful to go back to the example that I used of John Newton, the slave trader. You know, these days we, we look back on the slave trade with absolute horror. But there was a time when society thought it was perfectly acceptable. John Newton worked on slave ships in what was a perfectly legal operation. He did it because it was lucrative, it lined his pockets, it brought him wine, women, some notoriety, but at the cost of great human misery. But he was fulfilling his human desires. He was living according to the flesh. But during his 1748 voyage to England after being um, rescued from a rogue slave trader in Africa, Newton had a spiritual conversion on board the ship. The ship encountered a severe storm off Donegal in Ireland. It hit a rock. It was sinking. And Newton woke up in the middle of the night with all the noise and, and, and the, the water pouring in. And as the ship filled with water, he cried out to God. And as he did, the ship tilted and the cargo slid across the lower deck and blocked the hole where the water was coming in. And the ship was saved. And Newton gave up his time in the slave trade and he went on to become a vicar in London. And there he encouraged a young man called William Wilberforce in his faith. And in particular encouraged Wilberforce to stay in Parliament and live out his Christian life there. Which ultimately led to the abolition of the slave trade when Wilberforce's bill to abolish slavery was finally passed three days before Wilberforce died. Newton had gone from a life of living according to the flesh to one lived according to the spirit. The spirit transformed Newton from being a slave trader to being influential in abolishing the slave trade. And Paul the Apostle makes this striking contrast in verse 6. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And one of the people who's recently been on our Alpha course, um, who's had to cope with some, some big challenges over the last couple of years, has shared with us about how they were just trying to cope in their own strength. It was, it was proving too much for them. And that they'd come back to God because they knew they couldn't carry on as they were, just in their own strength, and that when they did that, that they'd rediscovered what it meant to have peace in their life. The problems hadn't gone away, but life in the Spirit brought them peace in the midst of life's storms. The mind governed by the Spirit, says Paul the Apostle, is life and peace. And so on the face of it, it seems obvious, really, doesn't it? All of us should want to have life in the Spirit. But do we, in fact, have it? That's the question which Paul raises 
twice when he uses the word if to make his readers, that's us as well as those he was writing to, search our hearts and consider the question. In verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And in verse 11, he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Paul is asking us to think about that. Does the Spirit live in us? And verse 7 and 8 give us some clues. The mind mind governed by the flesh, it says, does not submit to God's law and cannot please God. And so there's a question. Are we submitted to God? Is our first love to follow Jesus or to satisfy our own desires? Do our own plans come first all the time, or have we decided to live for Christ? Well, one good test might be to go back to verse 1 and reread it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't this the greatest news in the world? I think it is. If we realise the enormity of our sin and the seriousness of God's judgment, then and only then can we appreciate the monumental scope of his love. When I think back on my life and I shudder at all the things that I've done and the words that I've spoken and the thoughts that I've entertained, and I realise that without the love of God in Jesus I would be in a hopeless situation then I want to throw myself on God's mercy. I want to put my trust in Jesus. And when I do that, the Spirit lives in me. I have life in the Spirit. But if I'm unmoved by that verse, if I could read it and shrug my shoulders, imagining that sin wasn't that serious or that God would not judge it, then why would I need to be in Christ? The way to live in the Spirit is to realise our need of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and to live with thankful hearts which love him in response to his great love for us. And so when we look at this beautiful world that God has made and when we witness the many ways in which we human beings have managed to make a mess of it and we wonder why God has not acted to stamp out evil and wickedness, Let's remember two things. Firstly, from the parable of the weeds, that God loves us too much to have pronounced judgment on the world until now. The creator is patient and he's still giving his creatures time to repent and turn to him. And secondly, as we read this letter of Paul's to the church in Rome, let it remind us that God has already acted to stamp out evil and wickedness when he paid the price for our sins and died on the cross in order that we could be forgiven and set free. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the only question that remains for us is, have we realised the enormity of what Christ has done for us? And have we accepted the gift of grace that he offers us? And if we haven't, May we decide to do that today and may we all enjoy the freedom and the joy and the peace that life in the Spirit brings to us and to all 
God's children. Amen.